are listening to Chugga Talk with Ryan Murphy, a podcast by Pull Across Made Simple. On this episode of Chugga Talk, you'll meet Warwick Frazier, a key member of the family and club who's hosted three successful World Cups. A year beyond their most recent Adena 2019 event, we discuss the associated risks and rewards. We discuss the evolving sport of polo cross and more. Here on Chugga Talk, the goal is to shrink the polo cross world by connecting people together and most importantly, to provide education by interviewing players from all over the world. So listen closely and enjoy. Hey mate, how are you? Good. How are you? Yeah, good. What's happening? Oh, just uh, a good Sunday here. I, we were out with the horses a lot, doing farm yeah. work, things like that. So, uh, what's the weather doing? I don't know the Celsius, but it was about 70 today, which is pretty good. It's the first days of spring, so it's just starting to warm up. Clipped the mains uh, yesterday. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good one. Right on. Right on. It's starting to get pretty cold here. We had a frost this morning. Oh, really? Huh. Um, which was pretty early for us. So, uh, yeah, no, it's good. I think we had, oh, again, I don't know the Fahrenheit, but it was about four degrees here this morning. So, yeah, it was pretty fresh. Oh, yeah. So yeah. you got called into work. Is it a holiday, though? Yeah, it is a holiday, yeah. So it's our, uh, we call it the May Day long weekend. But um, the trucks keep moving, the work <laughs> keeps happening. So uh, it was time to come in and get a few jobs done. Yeah, that's good. So it sounds like you guys, I mean, how have you been affected by COVID? We have to talk about it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, look, it's... Uh, Early on, um, when it sort of first started to get real here in Australia, um, we quietened right off um, because a lot of our customers who are exporting beef, um, you know, internationally, they were were caught in the crisis. A lot of Australian beef ends up in high-end restaurants in China. So um, to start with, we were really quiet and it wound right back and then... Then probably like you had in the States, we had the crazy of the hoarders and people right. wanting to buy, you know, oodles and oodles of toilet paper and, and uh, 100 <laughs> kilos of mints and things like that. So then it really kicked in for us. But I suppose we're probably one of the lucky industries being transport that's been deemed um, an essential service. Right. So we're yeah. allowed, to, um, allowed to trade on. Um, and I suppose for, for 90% of our customers are who are, rural and regionally based if you're a thousand kilometers from brisbane or or something like that you're probably not seeing a whole lot of corona impact locally so um, it's it's been a bit business as usual but at home my wife is battling with a uh uh, with a seven month old and trying to homeschool a uh, a preppy so oh my uh, gosh it's certainly the battle zone at home it's been what six weeks or i mean yeah yeah, it's been close to that. And the talk is going back to school next week. So there's a whole uh, lot of very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I have a, I have a friend who's, um, I'm in the animal health industry, but my friend, uh, he works in the veterinary uh, industry as well. And he said that, um, that there's actually farmers having to dump milk here. And yeah. it kind of looks bad because, you know, when you see food go to waste. Usually, you know, he gave me this example. He said, if you're, if you pick up an apple at the grocery store, there's probably nine apples that didn't make it. You know, there's a lot of waste. And he said that happens at the end of the, at the supply chain. But what's happening is because restaurants aren't open, that the supply chain is being affected at the beginning. So, you know, there's a lot of that going on still with us. Yeah, exactly. Like we're all obviously still eating and we've got to feed the world, but you take that restaurant eating out, 
part out yeah. of it and it just comes back considerably, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm going to say one word and you have to give me your reaction. Uh, Trump. Trump. You're a journalist. And I, I guess I asked this because I want to know how, how you perceive our reaction to the crisis and how we've handled it compared to Australia and stuff like that. I don't know if you have an well, opinion. Well, you know, um, it's interesting. The Trump thing, like, and obviously for, for you guys as well, but the our mind boggles that that he's your president um, and, and he's let off the chain to speak, which I suppose when you are the president, that's what happens. But to say that, uh, what was it, inject, um, injecting people with sanitizer or something like that was just, yeah. that's next level sort of stuff. Um, it's next level. But look, he's, he's, um, he, he's not on his own. I was reading with interest overnight, you know, what Sweden's doing, the fact that they tried to go for herd immunity. Yeah. You know, so it's, there's no right and wrong. I suppose the only right and wrong we'll know is, 10 or you know a year from now 10 years from now when we can look back and see how it all unfolded but um yeah look we're <laughs> selfishly I'm, I'm pleased that i'm not paddling the same canoe you are you are with that uh, over there <laughs> and with the whole healthcare industry our you know we don't really have socialized medicine so that's being exposed here people were actually they're concerned if they um, couldn't work because if you lose your job, you lose your health care. So that's, you know, there's a whole, that, all that stuff's being exposed with our healthcare industry as well. And you are know, you starting to see economic downturns already in, this, in the States? Yeah, I mean, we had 30 million um, jobless claims, which is just a record. But uh, yeah, we won't know. Like you said, it'll be months down the road. We'll see the reverberations and all that. But I was just curious, how long have you been out of the um, journalists and, you know, out of that industry? Yeah, look, I've been out of the media game now. It's probably, it's probably going about 10, 10 or so years now. Um, so I uh, sort of worked across Australia. Then I had a couple of stints abroad. I had a stint with mm -hmm. the CBC in Vancouver. Um, oh, okay. And then, um, then in the UK. Um, and then, um, then I came home and I jumped out into um, into what they call the dark side, into corporate PR and communications, yeah. um, and things like that. And then just slowly sort of worked my way back to back to home, back to Warwick. I, if someone had said to me 20 years ago, or it's over 20 years ago when I went away to boarding school that I'd be back living in Warwick and, and working in our family business, I would have howled them down and and uh, said that wasn't going to happen. But um, pretty excited to be back here in Warwick and part of the family business and um, seeing it yeah. all sort of... Yeah, so we're going to talk about the World Cup and that's obviously the big thing. It's been a year since this last one. I wanted to talk about the sort of the, the risks and, and rewards. You know, there's probably things in your mind that you want people to... That maybe people don't realize or they, they don't ask those questions and you just talk about the scale and what what goes on because you said you put your life on hold for a year to make that happen so i'm just yeah, curious we, yeah yeah go ahead yeah, look, it um you talk about the scale um and and we'd obviously run a world cup in 2003 and in 2007 and so for a lot of people you know including ourselves probably early on we thought oh we've got the runs on the board here we know how to run big events we've run a world cup before and we've run nationals and you know, yeah. Morgan Park and, and the Warwick Polo Cross Club team, no big events. But the scale of the World Cup in 2019 was just something, it was a beast that, that um, we, we quickly found early on that it was, that it was far bigger um, than what we ever thought it was going to be. Um, and obviously the market and 
the game and and just society has changed so much. And I suppose you could probably say that, you know, it was 12 years. You might be able to say that every 12 years. But in 2007, you know, there was no social media. You know, there was MySpace and those sort of, <laughs> you know, that sort of stuff. But there was, there was no social media whatsoever. Um, and so that was a huge shift um, for us into one, how we market it. And, it. and it created a great opportunity as well. Yeah, look, it was, it was, it was nothing short of enormous, um, a huge team effort from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people um, that just put their shoulder to the wheel and um, went about creating, you know, the best polo cross show that's ever been put on earth. Right. See, I was a part of the first two, 03 and 07. And um, to me, that was the scale was was tremendous. I'm curious about just this one number. You know, what did the bar make from 03 compared to last year? Because isn't that sort of a gauge of the number of people that are kind of going through and all that? Yeah, it is. Um, and um, I went back through when I was doing the ordering for the bar because um, myself and, and another couple of blokes are charged with um, running the bar. And, you know, it's easy just to, you know, ring the bell at 10 o'clock and say we're open and, you know, that sort of stuff. But you've just got to make sure you've got enough beer and all that sort of stuff because the last thing you want to do is run out. Um, but I did do some comparing and, well, I went back to those 03 and 07 figures. And again, you sort of think, well... Should we compare to these? Because is that anything like we're going to happen this time? Will people turn up? Like, that's a big thing too. Like, we're, we're so immersed in this event. Um, you know, we had a, a World Cup committee and the World Cup committee and, um, and our marketing team, we spent hours and hours, like thousands of hours planning this in the lead up. And you get so deep into it. And then you poke your head up and you go, shit, is anyone, are people going to come? Um, right. And you start doubting yourself, you know, have we marketed this? Have we, is the messaging right? And so when you look at, you know, how many eggs or how many sausages or right. steaks you're going to need for the steak burger or how many beers you're going to need, you sort of think, well, shit, what do we need? And, and not that Warwick's remote, but, um, you know, we are a couple of hours from Brisbane. So it's not as though you can ring the, the brewery right. and say, hey, shoot up another couple of kegs where uh, we're running short. But um, I did do some comparisons and, um, and look, there was just no, no comparing it. Um, I think, uh, and I, I just, it's remiss of me not to have them, but I think it was 8,000 cans of beer. I think oh, it was 8,000 cans of Forex gold um, that we sold over the two or three weeks of the bar operating at the World Cup. And oh, I know that our brewer, uh, Forex Castlemaine that you probably know well, Forex yeah. Gold, they were blown away because um, for them, polo cross is this fringe sport that, you know, they get confused with polo and think that Prince Charles is going to turn Still? up. Yeah. 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 It's, you know, which we're, we're, working, we're working towards <laughs> that. They were just blown away because we just, we were able to compete with some of their big events. So we have some big rural events here, a big race day at Birdsville, um, in, uh, in outback Queensland, uh, we've got big rodeos, Melbourne Cups and those sort of things. And they couldn't believe that our volume uh, did challenge those. So, but it's interesting, you know, and you see how we talk about how the market changes with social media and those sort of things. We saw a real change in 03 and 07, uh, which would be close to your heart. We sold gallons of, um, of Bundy rum, oh, gallons of Bundy rum. It was just rum and cola cans, hand over fist. And whilst we sold a lot of them this time, 
it wasn't even close to what we sold. So what we sold in 03 and 07 in Bundy Run Rum Can completely outstripped what we did this time. But everyone's back on the bottle. Um, oh, okay. The bottle. So um, there's just things like that, you know. In in 03 and 07, we weren't selling CC. Uh, you know, likes the Canadian club wasn't on the scene. I think we we're drinking Stollies and, and that sort of stuff. So yeah. It, uh, Makes me a little bit old to think that 12 years ago, Stolly was pretty cool and now it's CC and dry or a gin and tonic or something like that. But just uh, how the market moves. But, you know, and in terms of the bar, like it just, uh, the volumes, the volumes were huge. We had some very, very big nights, you know, comparison to what you would have remembered in 03 and 07. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. And, and then you, you know, speaking of the me- social media and, and that whole part for last year, you had, pe- you had people like me who were messaging you saying, are you going to live video stream this? And, and I just remember, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't playing polo cross in 2015, I, you know, FOMO from not being in South Africa and I'm just listening to the games and I'm thinking, come on, this is 2015. We should be watching these live. And I know that, and, and I thought, I didn't think it was nothing to do, but I thought, come on, we should be able to get that together. So, you know, you have people like me asking things like that. So what, what did that take to get them live? Yeah, well, as you know, you and I had a spiky couple of conversations uh, early on. Um, you asking what was going to be happening with the social, with, um, with the live streaming. And, and again, we knew that we were taking this event to the next level you know, we knew that it was going to be like nothing we'd ever seen before. So we just, you know, and, and, and in terms of social media and live streaming, that's that was all a pretty new space for us. Um, you know, it's all pretty easy for someone to jump out with an iPhone um, and um, FaceTime it and throw it on, um, throw it on Facebook or, or something like that. But we didn't want that to be, you know, the legacy of what the World Cup in 2019 was going to be. And so we wanted to make sure that it was done right. And to do that, you know, there was obviously some huge amounts of due diligence that went into it. Thankfully, we've got a really big rodeo, or we've got Australia's largest rodeo um, that happens here in Warwick every October. And they had some pretty hot guys that, that come in and do um, their live streaming and they're guys that do big PBR bull rides and rodeos. So we're able to chat to them. Um, but one of the lumpy things that we had to come over was that, that and again, it comes down to the risk and you're spending all this money to, to try and make this event happen. But um, at a cost of $80,000 is what the Jeez. live stream took. Um, because it wasn't just about having one cameraman there because we know that one cameraman wouldn't do justice to what the spectacle was on the field. So we had to have three cameramen. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to have a cameraman on standby at the end of the fields, at both ends of each field. So when we had time off in between chuckers, we could get that, you know, we could get that atmosphere that you see in other sports of when, you know, the section comes off and they chat to their coach. And whilst we, we, we didn't want to pick up on the, on the voice, but we wanted to pick up on what was happening, you know, and right. be able to, you know, to do a cross, hey, you know, we'll cross down to the, to the end of the end of the main field here. We've got Australia off that had an injury. You know, we wanted to add that level of complexity to it. We wanted to have action replays. Um, right, that was amazing. We wanted yeah. to have highlight reels. And look, whilst it took a lot of time and a lot of cost, and at times it was a little bit clunky because it was new for everyone in terms of, it wasn't clunky in terms of the product because that was, it was just sensational. But it was new for all of us of, how to log in for live streaming at this level right. and all those sorts of things. But I think at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. And, um, and, and looking back now over the last 12 months and then uh, we've thrown up 
all the games now uh, for people to view. It was um, it really did invite you know the lounge rooms um, of, uh, of 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 people across the world into it. And as an aside, that was that was also a fair enticement for some of our sponsors as well. For some sponsors, right. it wasn't of interest to them, but to be able to say that we were you know, we were getting into the um, into the bedrooms and homes of, of um, you know, a further how many thousand people that really right. added to the scale of the event as well. When you put together an event like this, um, obviously, well, t- talk to me about how Morgan Park came about, but is your goal, was your goal to make money to reinvest in the park? And how, how does that, how do you figure that into it with the, with the, the numbers and, and the risk, like you said? Yeah, look, it, it, um, Morgan Park to the Warwick Club um, is like any other business. Um, to the Warwick Club, it's Morgan Park has got to be a business. And, and you know, if, if fundamentally it doesn't stand up, if it can't return an investment, well, why put in all the hours? Um, right. And first and foremost, we needed there, we wanted there to be a, a return for our club members. Like we... Right. Like I've said, we put in thousands and thousands of hours of, of effort and and our club members needed to see a return for that. Um, it's only right. fair. Um, but on the flip side is that we've always reinvested back into our grounds. So what you see there now at Morgan Park, 50 years ago, was just a pile of dirt. There was nothing there. And, and you think about 50 years ago, Morgan Park, whilst it's on the edge of Warwick, was in the middle of Wookwook you know, the middle of yeah. nowhere at the time. And it took the vision of, um, of Mr. Morgan. A hundred years ago, he set aside 3,000 acres for recreation in Warwick. And I wish we could see a little bit more of that foresight in our, in our current climate because, you know, for his vision back then, for a little town of Warwick, which is still a little town now, it would have been, you know, very small then to say, look, I'm going to sit aside this land out at Morgan Park for right. the likes of the Polo Cross, the drag races. You know, it's a, it's a multi venue um a facility morgan park so we're one tenancy i think of about eight um and economically to warwick it's enormous um there's a uh there's a nationally regarded drag strip the nationally regarded um car racing track and bike racing track there so um there's a whole lot of things there and, and that brings a whole lot of income to warwick but um our goal at morgan park you know polo cross morgan park has never been to be the the flashiest facility it's to be the best purpose-built polo cross facility um and that's what us as club members have chipped away under the stewardship of les um on the steward- stewardship of les fraser that's what we've chipped away at over the last 50 years to come at what we are um you know you, you speak to a lot of those old-time players not just from our club but from other clubs and they remember coming to morgan park and there being nothing there um, oh, and they remember yeah. you know few years later they'd turn up and there'd be a horse wash and then a few years later they'd turn up and there'd be another horse wash so that's right. one thing i think why polo cross players love coming to morgan park is that we are constantly putting money back into into the grounds and that's 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 the self-fulfilling prophecy of, of morgan park is to put every last bit of money that we make back into the grounds but to do that for the World Cup, we had to spend hundreds of thousands to get Morgan Park World Cup ready. Um, okay. Because again, like we're, we, were, we were World Cup ready in 2003 and 2007, but we we're adding another element to it this time. You know, grandstanding, um, uh, access for, for wheelchair toilets, new toilets, new showers, new, um, you know, vet bay blocks, new entertaining areas, um, extensions to the shed. 
Um, and we were spending all this money and that's when we would just bob up our head and go, is this going to be a success? Are people going to turn up? You know, is this all going to happen? Um, you know, another major expense um, was to get data run to Morgan Park. Um, oh, yeah. Hard to believe, but, you know, we're only, the way the crow flies, only a couple of kilometres from Warwick and the, and the mobile phone range is, is all but non-existent. Um, oh, and to have a world-class event of this standard and to be live streaming it and to be wanting people to be uploading and flogging social media to try and help spread the word for us, we needed that, um, we needed that data right. And that was at a cost of 300000 um, to get that yeah. from, its, from its closest spot to, which was, which was our um, truck depot not far down the road, to get it from there to Morgan Park was, was at a cost of 300000 And thankfully, um, there was some vision in terms of federal and state and local funding um, to, um, to, to get that capacity there. But it's still not there. So we, um, they, they spend all this money to get the pipe um, to Morgan Park. Um, and then we brought in um, a cell on wheels, which you know sent out the mobile uh, mobile reception even stronger. But if you go out to Morgan Park now, even after all that infrastructure, you can't. I can't send you a call or send you a text message because oh, um, we're back to uh, to ground zero. But it was all those types of things that that needed to be needed to be done to get Morgan Park World Cup ready. What's uh, what What's next for the park? I mean, what what I mean? Do you have those thoughts yet, or is it too soon for? Even considering uh, we're still what's... in recovery mode, Brian. <laughs> uh, look, um, who knows what's next? Um, there'll be more World Cups. Um, it'd be great to see the World Cup. For, for the World Cup to be a true World Cup, it needs to go global like it's doing and, and have a couple of legs, you know, somewhere right. abroad. Um, I think ultimately it will always probably spend a lot of time being hosted in Australia due to our history of the game and, and the depth of the game here, just in terms of support and numbers and things like that. But um, look, we really don't know what next for Morgan Park. It's, it's a shame that we haven't been able to leverage on the back of the World Cup this year like we thought we would, you know, with, with no polo cross happening. But that's happening everywhere because after 2003 and 2007, we saw a real spike in participation levels in polo cross in Australia um, because the 03 and the 07 World Cups, one, they introduced a whole lot of new people to the, to the game, but they also reintroduced and reminded a whole lot of people who used to play, of which there's a lot in Australia, about how great this game is. So it's, it's disappointing we haven't been able to leverage that this year, but um, look, who knows what's you know, onwards and upwards for, for Warwick Polo Cross and Morgan Park. But um, there'll be more great events here. We'll see more test matches here. And I think we've really globalised the game. We haven't, but we collectively as players across the world have really globalised the game. Um, never before have we seen a lead-up to a World Cup in terms of games and, and uh, uh, test matches happen. And that was really right. cool. You saw all the countries doing it. Um, right. All having their own, you know, all their own tours in the lead up to the World Cup. And that had never happened before. And, um, you know, that'll continue to happen and grow the game. Yeah, we have to talk about that sort of this um, constant uh, struggle between the the African style and the Aussie style. And I know that, you know, I've been there and, and I, I, you know, we, we saw the, the Africans win a couple World Cups and I've 
and I just, there's a couple things that I've heard that are happening. Uh, we had a, one of my uh, countrymen, Kate Lahr, spent some time in Queensland. I, I'm not sure which club she played for, but she said um, a quarter of their tournaments were doing the multi-horse. Um, Brett Pryor in New South Wales was telling me that it's more of a racket forward game now than it used to be. So I wonder, I wonder if the World Cup, the Africans winning some World Cups is affecting the game or if, if, if Australian polo cross is just changing organically anyways. I'm just, yeah, I don't know if you have some perspective on that. Look, I think we're seeing the game evolve, um, right. evolve over time. And whether that be, um, I don't think that's particularly African influenced. I think that we're, we're just seeing the game evolve on the back of, of, of the way we want to play it as players, um, how we're living, working, all those sorts of things. It's, it's changed dramatically. I, I talked just then about the large number of people that used to play the game that, that now don't. We used to have a really big um, uh, presence of the game here in Western Queensland, places like Longreach and, and um, Cloncurry and, and across the Flinders to Townsville. There's no presence of the game there anymore. Um, oh. And, and, that happens due to the changing nature. So, um, and, and what that is, none of us will really be able to put, um, you know, put our finger on it. But um, I think we'll see, and whilst it's a shame to see those, you know, lose those, those elements of the game, you pick up on others as well. Um, right. So, look, the, the things like multi-horse, you know, I'll be pretty traditional there. I, I don't think that they're adding to the game, but I see how they... I see how they can help. I think there's certainly right. uh, room for multi-horse for young horses and getting horses going and those sorts of things. But um, we know how important the horse is in polo cross. And fundamentally, I think that's what, for 99% of the playing population, that's what drew us to the game was the right. horse. Um, so I think to, to take that element away from it, that horse that can compete all weekend and get better, um, you know, I think that's really important to the game. But look, we'll, yeah, we'll continue to see it evolve. We look at the likes of cricket here domestically in Australia, and I'm sure you've had a lot of games, maybe baseball's doing the same thing in the States, but we've seen a whole lot of franchises of the cricket game. So there's the test match and there's the one day, and now we've got these 2020 games that are just purely built around a, um, a TV audience at night and getting a younger demographic in. And, and look, the, the purists of, of the cricket game may not like the T20, but it's, it's introduced a whole new element, a whole new um, uh, watcher to the game. So you've, you've got to embrace them where they are. But I think for me, at the end of the day, it's got to be for the good of the game. Um, right. We've got to make sure these changes aren't just being made, um, you know, because it's all too easy. We've, we've really got to make sure that we're, we're doing it for the legacy of the game. You know, thinking, uh, talking about the, the how a lot of players aren't playing anymore and, and the numbers have changed, do you know what those numbers are? The number of players in Australia, let's say in 2000 compared to now, and, um, and, and you know, that they were playing 8-8s eight eights in, a, in a final and now it's it's less than that. Yeah, what, what are the numbers in Australia? Because to me, it's always just been, you know, that's that's your sport. You've had so many, every town had almost, to me, it seemed like almost every town had a club where I was at. But uh, yeah, tell me about the numbers there. I just in no terms idea. of numbers, um, we're seeing a, a very steady growth in, in numbers. Um, okay. it's, it's certainly, um, you know, we're not seeing huge numbers of new entrants to the game um, year on year, but we are seeing a small increase from year to year. And I think for a fringe sport like polo cross, that's just what you've got to keep doing. That's good. Um, 
we are seeing a, a, a big increase, female participation increase um, there. We, we, we've probably seen that um, start from probably about the mid 2000s through to now that um, that female participation rate has really been growing. Um, that's probably been where the growth has been. There's a lot of barriers to the game of polo cross. You know, you and I both know that. And we know that from when we market the likes of the Polo Cross World Cup. Whilst what we'd love to be doing is getting more people to be playing the sport, that's that's a pretty hard task to do. It's pretty hard to convert people that aren't horse people to come around and play polo cross. You know it yourself. It's right. By the time you buy buy something to cart your horse about, you buy a horse, you buy a saddle. Um, you know, it's it's the barriers to entry are huge. But if we can continue to grow the number of people who want to watch the game, that in turn can be our way of the growth of the sport. And that's one thing that we have got so much, um, you know, momentum and, and kick out of on the back of the World Cup is the the people that have come to watch the game for the very first time that see what you and I love about it. Um, you know, they come thinking, is it polo? What is it? I'm, I'm not really that into horses. And they get there and they go, this is the best action sport that I've seen. I can get so close to it. You know, I can see skill in terms of horsemanship and playership and racket skills. And, and right. we all know what a great game polo cross is. We've just got to get it out to the masses and, 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 and see them see it being played. Is there, I mean, I know it's, there's always a financial barrier. So I'm just curious because, I mean, it feels like finances are tougher now than they were maybe 15, 20 years ago in general. But when I was there, I was seeing horse prices skyrocketing. So, I mean, is there a barrier there where to, to I mean, there's a lot of money being spent just on horses or, or are people just buying more expensive trailers or, I mean, what, what, what the what are those barriers is that look i think that if you're an existing polo cross player you know one of our biggest barriers that we've seen in the last 18 months is drought um, oh yeah yeah you know that's that's probably been our biggest barrier um i don't know that the numbers but there's there would hardly be a person playing polo cross in australia that that either isn't directly employed in the ag sector or isn't uh, indirectly working in that ag sector so you may be a plumber or you know, you, you maybe, uh, uh, you know, if work in fabrication as a welder or something like that. And, and for a lot of us, we're all living in regional regional areas or working for people. You know, our customers may be regionally or rurally based. But we saw one of the worst droughts in 100 years here over the last 18 months, which threw up some immense challenges for the running of the World Cup. But, um, you know, day to day as a, as a polo cross player, you know yourself, feed became, firstly, feed became expensive. Um, and then it became incredibly hard to source. Places like Warwick here on the Darling Downs has always been, you know, we're a bit of a food bowl in terms of animal food bowl and, and, and human um, food bowl production area here. And, you know, when you're sourcing hay 500 to 1,000 kilometres away, um, that adds considerable expense. And you've right. got to start asking your question. You've got to start asking yourself then, well, you know, I love this game, but... At the end of the day, I've got to make sure that I can provide for my family or, you know, all those sorts of So I think that's been our biggest barrier. There's a lot of people that play the game that are on places, that are on sheep and cattle places or, or whatever they may be dotted across Australia. And, and again, they've had it tough. They've been busy at home feeding cattle and running water and, and right. trying to do the basics. Um, the last thing they wanted to do is is play a sport they would have loved to have been playing sport um but i suppose it becomes one of those luxury items it's hard to believe that something like polo cross or a sport could become a luxury item but that in, in these tough times that's that's 
that's what it becomes. I totally agree. Yeah, we had to make the tough decision over here to cancel our nationals. Who knows what reverberations, what it will do for people's finances. Put on an event like that, and if, if we don't get the turnout, like you said, it's obviously not the scale of the World Cup, but the same mindset. You know, besides the epi- epidemiological impact um, and being in crowds and everything, but just the financial impact is going to be going to be huge. So if we're uh, if we're able to play pole across in four or five, you know, maybe towards the end of the season, um, it just won't be a nationals. But, but yeah, we had to make that decision to to cancel it. So that w- that was something that was definitely in our minds. This is uh, it's interesting. When I went to I went to Sydney, my wife and I went on honeymoon in February, and I just popped in for a few days. I'd done the Sydney thing, which I'd never done before. In, in all this, this is when you never you didn't visit your mates up in the Hunter. I remember this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was it was interesting because the the tour guide for the wine tour, um, he was talking about how um how how your droughts can last seven years i mean you have yep. you have these 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 spells of droughts and it's almost like you should name what is not a drought and that would be the nor you know like the drought seems to be the normalcy and then you might have these years of not a drought so it's just in, it's interesting i mean it's just a way of life i can't imagine it here um but, I, but how you how you must have to deal with that and look and, and i think uh, at the end of the day, uh, uh, Australia is an arid country and it's it's just something that we all know that it is. But um, yeah, dry seasons, you know, tough, tough years like we've had. And, you know, they seem to be all too often um, at the moment. But then, you know, we look back in, uh, I think it was uh, it was the year that my wife and I got married, the end of 2010. Um, and then through to 2013, we had three really wet years or two, two really wet years in there. So uh, what do they say about Australia? It's droughts and flooding rains but um yeah certainly the drought that we've had um over the last 18 months has been has been of, of another scale We're we're still somewhat in fairly ordinary conditions here in warwick we had some rain things looked up things look to be tracking pretty well but as we head into winter now it's it's looking pretty tough but to put that into perspective just on just on a in a warwick scale and and the drought was so much worse you know in other parts across australia but warwick's water supply got down to under four percent um and that happened about a month before the World Cup. Um, and so the pressure locally here was immense. You know, we had um, households that had been reduced to, we we're all reduced to only 60 litres of water a day. Um, and 60 litres, you know, as you probably work out, ain't much water. And that's all that households were able, able to use per person to, to, to function. Um, and um, whilst a lot of people could see that the World Cup could be a, a, an economic saviour, for our region because it'll bring all these these people to town to spend money it also meant that we were bringing you know upwards of thousands of thousands of people to warwick which were going to flush the toilet have a drink oh, yeah. of water fill their water bucket up for their horse and we all know ourselves we've got a water bucket for a horse and it's half full and it's full of loosened hay or the horse has been pouring and it's full of dirt and you tip it out and fill a fresh one well yeah you know there goes half the water supply of one person living in warwick all day we were irrigating the fields at a cost that was also one of our largest expenses was water. Um, we obviously have to buy all the water that, that took to irrigate the fields. And, you know, this was the World Cup of Polo Cross. We couldn't have the world's best players turning up to a dusty paddock in the back of Queensland somewhere. So, um, yeah, look, the, those, that, that drought 
impacts and the drought measures there, you know, added, added a huge amount of stress and risk to, uh, to the lead up to the World Cup. And then you had some yanks there. Uh, we use an average of 80 gallons a day. So yeah, uh, yeah, we're yeah, probably yeah, worse. Yeah. I remember I, I stayed at Joy Poole's place uh, with, with uh, Joy and Claudia. This is 2000. And they complained about my showers. They were too long. <laughs> because when I left, Claudia made some remark about how low their tank was. And, you know, just where I, from my perspective, I just never had to think about those things. But it's such a serious resource for you guys. You have to conserve. Ah. Uh, and without water, it just, you know, in, in terms of food production, you know, cattle, livestock production, whatever right. you might be doing, you don't realise, uh, you don't realise until it gets dire. And, and whilst we've all grown up with knowing how precious a resource water is, I think it's really the last 12 months that really taught us just how, how precious it actually is. Yeah. So is there anything else that, anything funny that happened or anything that was a big surprise at the World Cup that we, we didn't talk about? Uh, anything you weren't expecting? Um, look, um, uh, there was a whole lot of things. We, we weren't expecting the social media response that we received, that we did. That um, whilst we've always um, played a, a big importance in 03 and 07, uh, we had uh, a professional marketing team, public relations team that helped us um, market and promote that event. We did that in 07 and then we did it again in 2019. Um, you know, because you just can't get a crowd of 50,000 people and think you're going to do it yourself with Facebook ads. You and I may string up, you know, and I, I'd like to think that, you know, with the background that I've got, that I can do some stuff that's um, that's pretty smart, but you need to, at that level, you need to right. engage some people that really know the market. So um, that was that was a bit of a mind blow. We, we spent hundreds of thousands on marketing and it was just amazing to see where our message ended up. And, and obviously that then translated to people through the gate. And we're probably only really picking up on a lot of that now, 12 months later, as a lot of people reminisce, um, you know, hashtag World Cup memories. The amount of the, the number of messages um, and comments that we've had from people that have said, look, we only live 20 kilometers away from Warwick. We live two hours away from Warwick or whatever it might be. You know, we've never seen Polo Cross before, but we've heard about it, you know, you know, time, time and time again. And this time we finally came up and watched it um, and we're blown away. We came up for one day and we ended up staying five days. Those sort of things. That That's what's really blown us away. Um, right. That, that really sort of uh, shocked us from what, has ever happened even with our nationals in 2012 we had them here in warwick and um, that was a major change from there and in terms that then left this amazing legacy for the town of warwick because um, that was probably um you know for the likes of les robin and i who are born and bred in warwick um you know warwick means a lot to us and and warwick has has embraced Polo Cross for a very long time. We wanted to make sure that there'd be a legacy left behind. We didn't want to have right. this UBU wham bam event and then it'd all be over and no one know anything about it. So um, we sourced all the food and and as many of our suppliers as we could all locally. Um, and it's been really great to see those businesses then flourish on the back of, oh. of, of the World Cup. Again, they were hemorrhaging on the back of, of a drought. And to have this coming up, because um, you think of the obvious ones like the motels and things like that, they were always going to do well because Warwick's a small town. Accommodation was going to book up really quickly. But I've got some friends, uh, you know, newly married couple, cute little cottage here in town and I said to them you know why don't you put your house on Airbnb oh geez really do you think that'd 
you know, <laughs> would it be worth your while, worth our while? And, and so it's those guys. So they put their house on Airbnb and for the two or three weeks that they were able to rent it out, it meant that they got three months ahead in their mortgage repayments. Oh, geez. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we've got the guy that owns the local laundromat. He was doing a twice daily delivery out to Morgan Park, pick up like he was for you guys in 2003 and 2007, pick up your washing, take it back. He made in three weeks what he usually makes in about six months. Oh my um, gosh. And so in the flow on from that, so then he can then go and put an extension on his house and put in a new bathroom or buy a new car or send his kids away to school or help them out going to uni. It's that legacy that's been, it's been great to see around Warwick um, because, you know, the, thanks to everyone who came, they left a whole lot of money in, in the region of Warwick. You know, we had to, as part of some of our guidelines for some of the support we received, we had to do really extensive um, market research um, uh, data analysis afterwards and and there was surveys upon surveys upon surveys of people done there was thousands of people um, surveyed whether they be visitors or, or local businesses and um, the results came back and and these results they're always really hard to try and quantify but these are so conservative it's not funny but the event left about nine million dollars in Queensland um, oh, close yeah. to six close to six million of that was in in the Warwick region um, oh, and God. you know it's it's that sort of stuff that really gives uh, you know the Warwick Club and, and and those of us that are on the World Cup committee a, a, a real kick you know there was another another business canard hats that was one of our on-site um, trade exhibitors and on the back of the drought he builds these he uh, makes these really cool uh, Panama style hats and um, no one was buying off him during the drought because again I, I suppose you wouldn't think that a hat would be a luxury item but maybe a new hat had become a luxury item so he was doing it a bit tough and he was going to close his business down but he came to the World Cup and what he was able to earn during the World Cup enabled him to get through the drought trade on and he's now still in business so oh, it's those sorts of stories that, that we're really getting a bit of a kick out of Oh, that's great. That, that's those. Those are things that are just awesome to hear. So, they, are they yeah. begging for the next event? I mean, uh, yeah. Look, we've <laughs> we've had um, yeah, we've had a lot of people, you know, asking um, when the next event is on. We we introduced a number of new sponsors that have never never been involved with Polo Cross before, um, and they were all blown away. We knew that we needed to 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 get some new sponsorship. We've, we've had some great supporters of Polo Cross here in Warwick over the years. And those guys like Carol Truck Sales and Australian Stockman Saddlery and all those sort of guys, they turned up again as they do. They support every year like they do. But to help them out, to help us you know, run the event and fund it, we needed to find some new investors. And we were able to do that. Um, and and again, those people couldn't believe what a market and what they couldn't believe Polo Cross people. Um, one of the big successes was our relationship with Adina Watches, um, and that was the brainchild of Les. Les uh, and and Robin had been at the Commonwealth Games some twelve months before at the Gold Coast, and it seemed that Longines Watches was one of the official timepieces yeah. of the Commonwealth Games. And Les thought to himself, well. What's our Longines? What's what's yeah. what's an Australian-made watch? So, um, and and people that know Les will laugh at this. He's as far from techno savvy. He's still <laughs> running a Nokia sixty-two ten and a Bluetooth earpiece. But oh he God. he went back and and into his iPad because he loves his iPad. Um, Googled into his iPad Australian-made watch and up cropped 
Adina watches and they were made in Brisbane. And we thought, gee, oh. this, this seems too good to be true. Um, they're a family, um, a family business in Brisbane. Um, and so Les made it his mission to um, meet uh, the Menzies family from Adina Watches and then went away uh, gnawing at them as only Les can to get them hooked on this game of polo cross. And, and um, uh, Grant and his family will admit that they, the first time that Les went to see them, they, you know, they didn't know what polo cross was. There was this guy that was just hugely fanatical about this World Cup that was coming up and you need to be involved. We've got these international players coming and I want you to make a watch for them and and um it took a lot of time but les got them um across across the line and now it, it just we had a sponsor then a naming rights sponsor that was so engaged with the event um you know it was it just it just transformed the event from there number one getting that naming rights partner in and um how excited they were when they when they truly understood the volume and and the breadth of of, of what this event was going to be they truly got behind it and it's now created this amazing relationship between polo cross and and adina watches and mm. Uh, none better fitted than you know every World Cup player going away with this amazing timepiece that you can you can only get if you were part of the World Cup. Um, but um, you know that that's another legacy part of it added as well. We now have got you know and they've helped us market the game too. Obviously, as as Australia's leading um, watchmaker, they are able to take our message and disseminate it to all their crowd. Like we had the World Cup exposed at the Australian um, International Jewelry Fair, Darling Harbour in Sydney. Um, those sort of exposure opportunities, we could have, we couldn't pay for those. We could have never managed them on our own. And um, through the uh, through the collaboration with a, with an event partner as great as Adina Watches, we're able to do it. So who's your Nacho Figuero? You know, you think about the polo world. You know, the the, the pretty boy, long haired guy. I mean, who are we going to use for Adina Watches? Who's going to be in all the ads? Ah, oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Jimmy. PJ Girl. Hall isn't playing any. Well, is PJ all still playing <laughs> no he's, he's golden locks um yeah been right up the alley uh, uh look um probably jimmy grills he probably puts himself in there as maybe a contender but um yeah uh, look i know that uh, the adina watches they uh particularly like to focus in on a female market oh okay um, so uh and we've got uh we've got a number of suitors that that could be uh here in australia we've got some uh, some pretty cracking sorts that made the uh, the world cup team and a few others that were pretty close to it as well so uh, yeah who, who knows we may have uh, a, a, a wrist model from um, from the uh, the fields of the polo cross game uh, gracing the uh, gracing the international press pages. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, that's all I've got. I, I really appreciate it. I mean, you gave you gave me more than I even expected. I, I have so much to I owe so much to your family because um, not only did you host two World Cups that I was able to be a part of um, that I was blown away by, but um, I actually wore the green the green one time in uh, 2000 yeah, on the C grade team. I think we actually might have won. Robbie and Heather and I. Yeah, yeah. At at Cof or no at the Gold Coast Carnival. Yeah. Um, so you know, I was I was and, thankful. And as, as you all know, and other people will attest, um, Ryan, not everyone gets to pull that green um, <laughs> that green jersey on. So uh, yeah. you're uh, you're part of a pretty illustrious crew. <laughs> um, you know, we're talking, we, we've got an amazing club here. They their effort to run the World Cup, and and that's one thing that um, has amazed um, some of the big wigs, I suppose, some of the, the the top end of town when it comes to sport here in Queensland and Australia. Not just equestrian sport, but the um, 2019 Adena Polo Cross World Cup was a nominated was a finalist out of 90 nominations for Event of the Year here in Queensland last year. Um, 
that's huge because we were up against things like the Brisbane Tennis International where they've got Maria Sharapova and, and, and Roger Federer and these sort of guys competing. Um, and so um, to get uh, the game Apollo cross in front of those people, but they were blown away mm. that an event of this size and scale can be run completely with a volunteer army. Um, right. They've never seen anything like it. So other than a part-time um, paid secretary, all the all the grunt work, all the all the all the work that needed to happen to make the World Cup physically happen was done by a volunteer crew, and that has just blown people away um, that we that we were able to run an event of that scale. So you you uh, you know you should have been uh, I should have had your name down on the bar. Or it should have been cooking burger in the canteen, but uh, rest assured, yeah. the next time you're over, we'll uh, we'll keep those credits up our sleeves so we can get you behind the canteen. Yeah, I'll probably have less hair, but uh, no, I no, I, I so so much. Oh, that's FOMO. Right. If you get hair plugs, we've got hair nets and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay great well like i said i appreciate it appreciate your time and um you know thanks for all you do thanks for all this information um you know god bless your family uh, robin les just give them my regards yeah cheers thank you mate yeah no, no thank you i was honored to be asked to um you know to have a yarn to you today it was great all right well you have a great day enjoy your day off right on night mate all right appreciate it right, take it easy you, see ya Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. I was blown away by the scale of the Adena 2019 Polo Cross World Cup and pleased to hear the positive effects on the Warwick community. Cheers to the dedicated Fraser family, Warwick Club, and hundreds of volunteers who made it all happen. Here on Chuck Talk, we'd appreciate your feedback. Have you enjoyed the show? Do you have questions or comments? Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. For a chance to be featured on the show, leave me a voicemail by finding the Send Voice mail sidebar button on polocrossmadesimple.com for more polocross coaching go to polocrossmadesimple.com you'll find ebooks on how to become a great player and even on how to become a great coach find me on facebook and instagram until next time have a good one thanks